Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. It is good to be together on the Lord's day in the Lord's place with the Lord's people one more time. I want to say thanks to uh, the pastor for his uh, warm uh, introduction. Uh, he is also the chair of the Board of Trustees of Fuller Theological Seminary, and uh, we are blessed uh, with his wisdom and his gift, uh, and we are thankful. We're also thankful for the many years of faithful partnership uh, in mission uh, that we enjoy with Christ Church, uh, because you know the value of investing in always the next generation of leaders who are seeking to do what God is calling them to do. So we are grateful for you and for what God is and will continue to do in and through you. So thank you for welcoming us uh, and making us feel at home today. We're grateful for the spirit of uh, worship, uh, and surely the Lord is in this place today. I'd like to invite you to turn your attention with me to uh, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 11. I'll begin reading at verse 19 from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyrus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was at Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine all over the world, and this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Amen. 
I want to talk to you a few minutes about the church of my dreams. You met briefly my wife Pamela, and some years ago she introduced me to home and garden television. I was not initially interested. But I've grown to enjoy the network over time. And like many spouses, it sometimes takes us a while to catch up with our partners. But we eventually come around. She and I sometimes watch episodes of shows where people are engaged in seeking to remodel existing properties or to purchase new houses that can become the dream home. Perhaps it's my limited imagination or non-existent design education that prevent me from conceiving the possibilities that are present in unfinished or outdated houses. Hearing building contractors and design consultants describe what could happen, redesigning flows, replacing decors, doesn't mean a thing to me. I get the concept, but I just can't see the possibilities. But I enjoy witnessing the results of demolition and construction and decoration by people who really know about design. It makes me happy to see the amazement and the excitement in these new or existing homeowners once they see their dream homes and they often exceed their imagination. Now, perhaps you've never had the experience of moving into a dream home. But maybe you've experienced or heard people talk about my dream job or my dream vacation or my dream date or living the dream. I want to talk with you a few minutes today about the church of my dreams. Now, I'm not talking about church in terms of location or facility. I'm talking about a church as a covenant community of disciples of Jesus who are salt for the earth and light for the world through word, worship and word and work and witness. Further, the inspiration for this message today is drawn from the New Testament church at Antioch. It became the center of the developing church and a launching place for mission. And so I don't want to try to offer an exhaustive list, but rather I just would like to offer three characteristics of the church of my dream. One characteristic is resiliency. The church of Antioch was resilient. You see, the church in Jerusalem suffered persecution. Acts 6 explains that there were some in a synagogue that went by the name of the freedmen opposed the growing number of followers of the way of Jesus. They seized Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, who had been chosen among seven 
to ensure an equitable distribution of food among widows of different ethnic backgrounds. And these people persuaded others to accuse Stephen falsely of speaking against the holy place and against the law. After Stephen responded to his accusers, he was dragged out of the city and stoned. Chapter 7 tells us, while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. Afterward, there was great persecution of the church. Chapter 8 in Acts tells us that day, a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Now, some people interpret persecution for the sake of Jesus as an indication that they're doing something wrong or that God is not all-powerful or all-loving or even real. There's an old spiritual song that was remixed by the gospel artist James Cleveland of another generation that reminds us, nobody told me the road would be easy, but I don't believe God brought me this far to leave me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminded us generations ago in his classic book, Discipleship, and I quote, those who do not want to take up their cross, who do not want to give their lives in suffering and be rejected by people, lose their community with Christ. They are not disciples, but those who lose their lives in discipleship and bearing the cross will find life again in following in community, in the community of the cross with Christ. The opposite of discipleship is being ashamed of Christ, being ashamed of the cross, being scandalized by the cross. Discipleship is being bound to the suffering Christ. That is why Christian suffering is not disconcerting. Instead, it is nothing but, the, but grace and joy. The end of the quote. Now, the idea that persecution, though painful, is not a sign of failure is countercultural to the public narratives of our day. We live in a world that bombards us with messages that you should aspire to achieve excessive wealth, perfect health, ageless appearance, perpetual muscle tone, skin without blemish, hair perfectly groomed, never graying, and more. But we hear a word to the disciples from Jesus in John 16. I say this to you so that you will have peace. In the world, you face persecution. 
but take courage. I have conquered the world. Second Corinthians explains the testimony of Paul in, the, in his ministry in this way. We have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. Persecution did not destroy the witness of the church in the New Testament. And when persecution, when harassment, when opposition, when oppression, when intimidation and more landed heavily on the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, they spread to many places proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And they did so with authenticity of life and love and work and work. And I confess to you today that one characteristic of the church of my dreams is a church that can be resilient in the face of persecution for being faithful in following Jesus. Another characteristic of the church of my dreams is its vibrant variety. A church includes and embraces people from all cultures and ethnicities when the power of God is in their midst. The vibrant variety of God is seen in creation. God created day and night and ground and sea and plant and trees and sun and moon and stars and creatures that fly through the day and swim through the ocean. Livestock, animals, things that creep and move along the ground, male and female in God's image. And Genesis 1 tells us that God saw all that God made, and it was very good. The vibrant variety of God is seen and witnessed in salvation. John 3, 16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. The vibrant variety of God is experienced when the Holy Spirit was made known in a powerful way on the day of Pentecost. Listen to Acts 2. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues 
as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? And listen to this variety of people. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to, Judea, to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our tongues. And then the vibrant variety of God is not only present in creation and in salvation and in the manifestation of the Spirit at Pentecost, the vibrant variety also awaits us in the consummation when God completes what God began. John tells us in Revelation 7, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now the text tells us in Acts Talking about this vibrant variety, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Here at Antioch, these disciples discerned something of the expanded horizon of God. And they did this rather than being focused on a constricted view. They had an expanded vision of evangelism, of sharing the good news of Jesus through word and deed. They were not constricted with the concept of being tightly bound where a circle gets smaller and smaller and there's less and less space. But they had an idea of being expanded and spreading far and wide. I spent my childhood years in a city where all the backyards in my neighborhood had fences. Children were free to move and play, but only within their backyard. During my adolescent years, I moved to a small rural town where no one's backyard had a fence. Children were free to go from house to house, from yard to yard, without the limitation of boundaries. Parents did not fret when children played games that crossed the property line. You were free to walk and play and visit and enjoy the outdoors without restriction, without boundaries, and you, you could run as far as your little legs would take you. The expansive vision of God is not bounded by limitations of our vision of limitation of our fears or limitations of our assumptions or even limitations of our cultures. The church at Antioch had an extended vision rather than a constricted view. It enabled them to be inclusive rather than restrictive. The church at Antioch was committed to helping 
people know the Lord. And a great number of people believed in Jesus. And our churches can grow when our goal is inviting people to follow Jesus rather than inviting them to join our congregations. Because whenever something is ours, it gets characterized by conformity and containment and manageability. Any church that is committed to conformity is characterized by exclusion rather than inclusion. And we can grow a crowd through homogenization, but the kingdom is a part of a vibrant variety of God. Now, welcoming new people into your life can be disruptive. Homogeneity yields predictability. Inclusivity opens up possibility. A closed body of water stagnates. A flowing stream attracts life. Now, anyone who has welcomed a baby into your life knows about disruption. Disruption of schedule, of furnishing, of routine, of sleep patterns. But these disruptions can lead to incalculable and unimaginable joy for today and hope for tomorrow. Many have testified they did not know how much love they had to give until they were blessed to give birth or to adopt or to foster a child. These disruptions lead to adaptations. And these adaptations lead to expansions of joy and hope and love. And a characteristic of the church of my dreams is a vibrant variety of God. So in addition to re resiliency and variety, the third characteristic I'd like to share with you today of the church of my dreams is a church of generosity. In our text that we read earlier, word of the flourishing church at Antioch reached Jerusalem. The leaders of the church in Jerusalem dispatched Barnabas to learn about this phenomenal growth and cross-cultural experience that was emerging. Barnabas was a follower of the way of Jesus with the disciples in Jerusalem, and he was filled with generosity, integrity, and a personality of an encourager. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast in devotion. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. <clears throat> now, during this time, the believers also learned about a famine, a coming famine. The famine was going to be devastating for the followers of the way in Jerusalem. They live with vulnerability and fragility. Life was already hard and it was about to get worse. But the response of the disciples of Antioch 
was to respond with compassion. They responded individually and they responded with generosity. Their generosity, <clears throat> excuse me, was a demonstration of their compassion. They were more than allies. They were companions on a journey. Companions literally means sharing bread. And companions share bread along the way. Companions know that on occasion, all of us might get a little hungry, but nobody has to starve because we share. If I'm enduring hardship and pain, struggling to live with security and dignity, trying to resist vulnerability and violation as I live day to day, I need more than encouraging words from somebody who maintains a safe distance. I need someone who will extend themselves to participate in my pain and to share their blessings so that I can participate in the Lord's blessings and the Lord's kindness through you. Disciples of Jesus are people who are committed to compassion. We are committed to suffering with one another. When you have compassion for your siblings who suffer, you extend yourself and you share your resources and offer yourself to, become, to come alongside for support and comfort and strength. This is the kind of generosity that does not collapse under the weight of what some people call compassion fatigue, when people become indifferent to the suffering of others. If God is not indifferent to us, we cannot be indifferent to others. Generosity is the response of the grace of God in our lives. Barnabas saw the evidence of the grace of God. He saw marks or proof or demonstration that the people at Antioch, the believers at Antioch, received the gospel and were responding to the gospel in loving kindness and tender mercy with, with others. The disciples of Jesus are not allowed to be grumpy and greedy, but we're called to be generous and gracious. A characteristic of the church of my dreams is generosity in response to the graciousness of God in our lives. Now, I've not tried to share with you everything in the church of my dreams, just three characteristics. Resiliency, variety, generosity. And when our worship and our work and our witness demonstrate these, people who observe will be able to recognize who we are. For it was at Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians, partisans to Christ. Those who belong to Christ, those who follow Christ, those who are with Christ. That's the church of my dreams. It's the kind of church I want to be, and the kind of church that can inspire us to be more 
of what God dreams that we can be. Won't you pray with me? Thank you, God, for these moments to gather together. Thank you for Jesus, for all he has done for us, and that we live in the power of the risen Lord. Thank you for the witness of the church at Antioch. May we also be inspired by their resiliency, their variety, and their generosity. We pray today for those who suffer and struggle and grieve and go without what is just. We pray that you'll forgive us for our failures, increase our faithfulness. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.